welcome, welcome to everybody. People that, uh, visitors, welcome. RVCC, ready to start service. Thank you all for coming, thank you. Um, for those of you that have been here for a little while, you've probably noticed something isn't quite right. Something isn't the same. It's not John. Oh, that was perfect timing, perfect timing. It isn't, you're right. Mr. Logan is sitting there, and if you're like me when it comes to change, don't always like change, and you'd much rather Mr. Logan would be up here. That makes all of us. That makes all of us. We're going to read from John this morning. We're going to read from John. Uh, chapter 15. Starting there. We've all heard this. We've all heard this. But it's in the Bible. So it bears repeating. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch, branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, prunes it, prunes it. <laughs> he prunes it so that it, be, it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, as he's speaking to his disciples. You are already clean because of the word which you have, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now in, in, chat, in verse 2, the word prune, if you look that up, dig into it a little bit, you'll find out that means clean. Mm -hmm. some, some translations use cleaneth. And if you look at verse 4, they use the word clean. It's the same word, almost the same word. You are already clean, Jesus says, mm -hmm. because of the words that I have spoken to you. Jesus, mm -hmm. the word. If you are saved, mm -hmm. if you have the word inside of you, you are clean. Amen. Amen. Abide in me, Jesus Continuing on, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You, we, are the branches. I lost my spot. <laughs> he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Four and five kind of tie together. Four and five basically are saying, unless we abide in the Lord, we can not bear fruit. We can do nothing as it relates to bearing fruit without the Lord. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That isn't saying we're going to get whatever we wish. But I think it's important to note that if we're abiding in Jesus, if his word abides in us, our desires change. And as our desires change, our prayers should change right along with them. And there's your answer to answer prayer. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I look that word up also, prove. Becoming, to become. That's what we're saying there. And if Jesus' words abide in you, you will prove to be his disciples. 
Just as the Father has loved me, also I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, your joy, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. That your joy will be made full. And leading up to that, there's a commandment. And after that, there's a commandment. That your joy will be made full in obeying the commands. Let's, uh, let's rise and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that one of the weapons we have to use against the evil in this world is joy. Your joy, Lord, your joy made full in us as we follow your commands, the full joy that comes from abiding in your will, that comes from abiding in you, Lord, by you, through us, that your fruit is offered to an ailing and hungry world. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're studying in 1 John this morning. It says, God is light. If we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with the Father, with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. So God is light. And it goes on to say, God is love. You know, demonstrates his love to, to us. And we're to demonstrate his love to each other. That's what we're called to do. And then it goes on to say, God is life. God is life. God is light. God is love. God is life. And in Him, we have life. We're ambassadors for Christ, and we're to demonstrate that life and proclaim that life. And I feel the Lord is saying, come. Don't keep God at arm's length. Don't resist Him. Let Him come. Let Him come and do what He wants to do in your heart. He wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. He wants to build you. He wants to build you. You know, he wants to embrace you. What they sang about that passionate love is the way he feels towards us. That is the way he feels. And that love breaks down the barrier. That love breaks down the barrier. You know, I ain't perfect. None of us are perfect. But that love that he's got for us is what breaks down that barrier and it allows us to be free free on the inside we're free on the inside and that shows itself we're free on the outside so God is light God is love and God is life thank you Jim spread wide in the arms of Christ is the love that conquers sin.
conquered sin. And we're going to share in that love here with the Lord's communion. The Lord's communion. If the elements would come up, we're going to uh, have four rows so that uh, you can find the space you need. Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is shed for you, which is, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can share. We can share in this with you, and we can share this with the world. Lord, your forgiveness, your salvation, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would come up. somebody next to you and just say, wow, it's good to see you this morning. Look on the other side and go, whoa, I didn't expect to see you here. Uh, you know, it's good to see each other, good to see everybody. It was uh, this morning's worship, this morning, all the words that were spoken, uh, Tom and, and uh, Jim and everything that was said is just a perfect setup for what I wanted to share this morning. It's a continuation of last week's message. I uh, haven't done a uh, series in a while, but I don't ever plan on doing a series. It just happens. You know, I just, I don't get done and instead of going two hours with a sermon, you know, I leave it for the next week, so... But I've, uh, last week we were talking about the, uh, the parable of the talents. But we weren't talking about the talents so much as about the mindset of one of those that received the talents. The last guy, the guy that received one. The one that was given one and what he did is he buried it in the ground. He hid it. He didn't do anything with it. But the reason that he did it is what we're talking about this weekend. Are the children dismissed? Children, you're dismissed if you so desire. Pastor Karen's go ahead and back there. So good to have you there this morning. So glad to have you with us. Turn with me to, I have no idea, because I knocked that part off of my, what, somebody has the message from last week? Matthew 25, I knew that, it was a test. I was just checking on you. All I have is the two verses I'm going to lead off with, and I took off the, the beginning part. So Matthew 25, beginning with verse 24, this is the response from the one who had, had, was given the one. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man 
reaping where, where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Verse 25, so I was afraid. That's what we're talking about, a fear. We're talking about being afraid. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. <clears throat> so the master gave three different guys three different uh, levels of responsibility or gave them three different levels of, of provision or whatever it was and he expected them to go and do business. And two of them, the one who was given five, the one who was given two, doubled what they had. The third one said, hey, I didn't do anything with it. I hid it because I didn't want to lose it. And I didn't want to lose it because, you know, you're a hard man and I don't, I'm afraid of you. And because of that, I don't want to get in trouble. So, I, you know, because of fear, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't do anything at all. And we talked about last week, and if you missed last week, uh, I'm not going to do the whole sermon, go back, watch it online. It's everything, all of our services are online. Uh, it's been really interesting. The last couple of weeks, we've had some contact with different people around the country who are watching our service. There was a family in Oregon that uh, commented on our Facebook page that they watched. So if you're, if you're watching this morning, good morning. How are you doing? They, uh, their services have been have been uh, shut down in Oregon since March. They've had no church. Their churches haven't met at all. And so they've been, they found us by accident. They said after about, you know, after a number of weeks, they realized we're in Minnesota. They thought they didn't know where we were. But uh, they just were so grateful that we're on. And, and I know that uh, there's people that watch us in California. I, I told them yesterday I'd wave. You know, when I, when I, so Ethan is out there and we have people in, in Philadelphia, uh, uh, Pennsylvania that watch us, and Tennessee, and Iowa, and all over, Wisconsin, even Wisconsin. I know, I know. It's amazing. You know, this is Minnesota, some in Minnesota, yeah, yeah. So it's amazing the impact that this church has. You know, I had a friend of mine say one time, this is the biggest little church he's ever seen. And, uh, you know, it's just, but, but it's about the gospel, isn't it? It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about him. And when you put him first, look what God's doing. Look what God has done. Amen? All right. So we talked about that, about, about fear. Why do people fear? Why do people fear anything? It's because of lack of knowledge. It's about a lack of intimacy. And every song this morning was about the, the re, having a relationship with the living God. Every verse, I mean, I was just amazed because we don't coordinate. You know, I didn't coordinate with Tom. I didn't coordinate with Kayla. I didn't coordinate with Jim. We just, the Spirit of God wants to tell you that He wants a relationship with you today. He wants you to know Him. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything <laughs> about you. Everything. Oh yeah, He knows that too. He knows that too, yeah. He knows everything. And he still wants to know you. He still wants you to know him and for you guys to have a relationship with him. That's cool. That's amazing. That the God of all the universe, that still hits me every once in a while. That the God of all the universe wants me to know him and has made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ, through salvation because of what he did on the cross. That's cool. That's very, very cool. All right, so did the servant, did the other two servants know that the master was a hard man? Of course he did. 
course they did. They knew he was tough. They knew he was a tough uh, master. They knew that he expected results, that he expected growth, that he expected them to grow up. And we talked a lot about, about raising children last week and about how parents, you know, even though, even though you're, you're tough on your kids, you should be tough on your kids. You know, I mean, we're not mean, we're not cruel, we're not, you know, vindictive. We, we, we don't, we, we need to walk in love, but we don't let them get away with everything. And if you're a good parent, you don't let them get away with anything. But you, you train them up in a godly lifestyle, and we're going to find out today the benefits of being trained and, and, and having discipline in your life. And the Bible says, I mean, we can just, I can keep quoting scriptures that back it up all over. The Bible says that no discipline in that moment feels good. It doesn't feel good to be disciplined by your parents. But praise God they did. Praise God we do. Because if you don't, we have a world that looks a lot like what we see on TV every night now. There's a generation that didn't get spanked. I know. I know it's true. It was fear that distinguished the first two from the third. Now, the, the, you know, you might be thinking, because you know, I know I think it every time I'm working on this sermon, I'm, I've been praying about it, is that doesn't the Bible say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom? Well, of course, it, the Bible does say that, the fear of the Lord. But that word fear, the base word in the original Hebrew, in the original text, was respect, honor. It wasn't cower and, and hide. We know when they cowered and hide. When was that? Adam and Eve in the garden. They cowered. As soon as they sinned, they knew they were in trouble and they feared. Why? Because they were separated from God. There's where the fear happens. But the fear of the Lord is to, to, you know, to respect him going, he's a, he's, a, he's a tough guy. He's a tough God. He expects growth. He expects maturity. He expects us to live a life that's worth living. But... He's also a loving father, and we'll see a whole bunch of verses today about that he's also a loving father who gives us the tools, gives us the ability to walk in that grace. So it's fear that distinguishes the first two from the third, and fear has its roots in the lack of knowledge. Uh, Hosea chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, you can, if you want, just make a note of it. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. The lack of knowledge. The lack of knowledge what? What's good and bad, what's right and wrong? What? No, it's not that. The, the lack of knowledge is of who God is. Knowing him. We talked about that a little bit last week. That you know me, so you know, if, you've, if you're watching on television and we've never met in person, you know a little bit about me because you kind of see me as being me. I mean, when you, see, you know, ask anybody here, you know, this is who I am. I, you know, I, I am what I am. Uh, sorry, I apologize, but here I am. But you don't know me. You know me at varying levels. And the way we know God, some people, there's people that know there is a God. They, they believe, but so do the demons. The demons believe that, you know, they know there's a God, and, but they don't have a relationship with him. They don't know him. You can, you can know him a little bit. You know, the Bible says you can be saved, and if you're, if you're born again, you're saved, and you get to heaven, you're in. 
But the Bible also says some people are going to get in by the skin of their teeth. They're going to just slip in. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just slip in. Because if you, just, if you can just slip in, you can also slip out. You want to know him. Really know him. And there's benefits to knowing him. There's benefits to, to knowing him as, a, as, a, as your friend, as your father. So, how do we gain knowledge? Turn with me to 1 John 4. When I heard that John, Jim was going to 1 John 4, I thought, here we go. He's, he's, he's preaching my sermon. Here we go. But it was awesome. 1 John 4, beginning with verse 13. And Tom also was talking, he was talking about abiding. That's what I'm saying. It was just so interesting. I know what's happening in behind the scenes, and I just hear this stuff, and it's like, wow, that's what the Spirit's saying this morning. Talking about abiding. 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And that's what we're talking about is an intimate relationship. You know, it's one thing, I, you know you know me, many of you know me, some of you for even 20, 30 some years, but there's someone who really knows me. Who really knows my, you know, she probably, if I, if I were to mention a subject, she could tell me what I'm thinking. That's scary. But that's because we've spent so much time together. And we've shared, we've talked, we've, we've cried together, we've laughed together, we've suffered together, we've, we've, over, we've you know, abounded together. We have done everything together for 33 years. It's that intimacy, it's knowing him. You can have that same kind of relationship with God. But you have to abide. Abide is, is your, you become one. And that's, you know, it says here that he gives us a spirit. And where, do, where is his spirit, where does his spirit reside? You know, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Spirit would come on people to do certain things. He, they would come on them to, to make something or to say something or to do something. But in the New Testament, after, after Acts chapter 2, he gave us his spirit to live in us. He's in us. I mean, you can't, a doctor can't open you up and go, oh, there's God. You know, there's the Spirit. No, because he becomes, he, he becomes us and we become him. And we, the more we know him, the more intimate we become with each other. That's what he wants. He wants you to know him. Can you, and you might be thinking, I just, you know, and, and, and I just heard this voice. And then probably, hopefully there's one, you know, you and not something else, but... Everybody but me. How am I supposed to know him intimately? The same way you know anybody intimately. You spend time with them. You read the word. The Bible says if you read the word that you know Jesus. Jesus is the word. And Jesus said if you know him, you know the Father. You've seen him. If you've seen Jesus, and we see Jesus through the word of God. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. 
So we abide in him. And because of that abiding, we have confidence. Confidence. If you don't have confidence, then you have opportunity to fear. If you don't know that God will do what he said he will do, if you're not convinced, if you're not absolutely 100% convinced that God will do what he said, if he'll follow through on his promises, then you lose confidence, and that confidence is really, or that lack of confidence is fear. Because now you're left to your own devices. Good luck. See what happens. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This world right now is full of fear. I mean, there are people who are walking around every day with so much fear, it's tangible. There are some people who are not walking around. There are some people who have still not left their homes. And the reason is, is fear. There are people who, they, they, they fear everything. I've known people in my life, well, I'll just be honest with you. My, in my family, in my lineage, my, my grandfather's brother lived. This is, you know, this is not a warm fuzzy. This is kind of a, ah, this stinks. My grandfather's brother lived in an insane asylum. Not because he was crazy, although it kind of makes him crazy because of what it, he didn't want to leave because he thought the moment he walked through the doors, he would get sick. And so he never left. This was back in the 30s. Never left that insane asylum. That's sad. That man was put in prison. I mean, literally, he put himself in prison because of fear. Why? Was there any, if he had walked through, the die, walked through the door, would he have got sick and died? Probably not. Probably, more than likely not. Why? Why do we know that? Because just the reality of it. So was he crazy? Yeah, probably. But he did it because of fear. I've known other people that won't fly or they won't you know, do this or they won't do that. They won't even whatever because of fear. And that fear has a root and that root is the knowledge of God or the lack of the knowledge of God. Because if you know God, you know love. And love casts out all fear. All right? Still laying a foundation here. We were never supposed to experience fear. Life was, we we're never supposed to do it. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 says for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God has given us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control going back to the garden Adam and Eve were created God created Adam he made a man cake breathed life into him and he became Alive, this breath of God, the very ruach of God. God breathed in him, just like he wants to breathe in people today. He wants to breathe life. He wants to breathe his spirit. 
Before, it was just a pile of mud. But once he breathed into him, he became alive. And then out of man, he took Eve, took the, the rib and made Eve. And they lived. He breathed into them. They, he was in them, and they were in him, and they had fellowship all day long. Every day, they would hear God's voice and go, oh, God's here, awesome. They'd go out and meet him, and they'd walk in the cool of the day. They'd spend time together. They weren't afraid of him. But the moment that they sinned, the moment that they disobeyed him, they hid, and they went, oh, we're naked. Physically? Well, whatever. I mean, it's not like God can't see naked. The reason they felt naked is they realized they were without Him. They were separated from Him. They, they were separated from His Spirit. They were separated from the love. They were separated from the protection. And the moment they were separated from Him, the moment that they were separated from His protection, His love, His promises, when, he, when they were separated from Him, all of a sudden they were exposed to all the danger of the world. And even the world was affected by it. That's why the Bible says that the creation is waiting for the children of God. Longing, groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because we can speak life back into this world. We can speak life into this dead world. We can speak life into the situation. We can speak life into politics. We can speak life into our neighborhoods. We can speak life into our businesses. We, just by us being there with the presence of God in us, it starts turning it back into heaven on earth. Now it's got a long ways to go. You know, if you read in your daily reading this week, you know, we're, we're just about done with a two-year cycle. So now's the time to get ready. Good, you can practice for the next two weeks. Practice reading the Bible. You know, it is posted everywhere. It's on the website. It's on the Facebook. It's on, you look, you, you find it anywhere. If you don't have it, there's, there's paper copies back there for you old timers. There's paper copies back there. <laughs> you can get a copy of this and, and you can read daily in the Bible. We want you to read the Bible. We want, to read, you want, we want you to read your Bible. Why? Because it builds intimacy. It builds truth. It builds understanding, knowledge of who God is. If you deal with fear, in any way, shape, or form, if you have any kind of anxiety or fear, God doesn't want you to deal with that. He doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to live in joy and peace and power. It's possible. You don't have to live in fear. But you do it by knowing Him through intimacy, and that's, that intimacy is through the Word of God. Well, this week, this week we were reading in uh, uh, the Word, and it talked about how that, that His Spirit lives in us, and that in Him we, have, we don't have fear. But you've got to know Him. You have to know Him. All right. 2 Corinthians 1.20 All the promises of God, for all the promises of God, find their yes in Him, that is why it is through him that we, we utter our amen to the glory of God. God has given us promises from the very beginning, from Eden. God gave us promises. And that promise was, I was gonna I'm going to take care of you. When he created man, did you realize he had already created, created everything else? 
He had already provided everything that they need. He provided air, he provided water, he provided uh, uh, food, he provided everything that they need before he created them. Provision. God wants to, to, to make sure that you're taken care of. That was the way it was from the beginning. When man sinned, all of a sudden he said, now you're going to have to work for it. And if you don't work for it, eh, you may not eat. Paul wrote, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's not good. It's not good for somebody to just get whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and not have to be put their effort into it. We see that. We see that in the world today. God is not a handout God. Oh, wait a second. Now you're getting political. Maybe I am. Or maybe I'm just speaking truth. Truth isn't political. Truth is truth. It's good for children to work. It's good for children to work. You have jobs in the morning. All right. Awesome. Good job, Dad. Mom, good job, Mom. Yeah, Mom. It's good for people to work. It's good, you know, it's good for people to put their hand to the plow or to the computer or the truck or the table saw or the whatever you put your hand to, whatever. It's good for people to work. You know, it is, you know, we had to work, but, but Adam and Eve were working. They, they were doing, they were gardeners. They were taking care of God's creation, but they didn't have to do it by the sweat of their brow. Now we do. So here we are. Suck it up. Let's go. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow's a day off. It's Labor Day. <laughs> Tuesday. Tuesday. Get to work. Yeah, definitely. No, no, no work tomorrow. Just no honey-do list, right, sweetheart? No honey-do list. All right. No work. It's Labor Day tomorrow. Labor-free day. It should be called a labor-free day is what it should call except for the restaurants who should be open so that we can be fed. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I digress. So what are people afraid of? Today, today what people are afraid of is the same thing as they were afraid of in the garden after they sin. Hasn't changed at all. We'll talk about. Well, I'll show you what that what I mean by that. The same things that we fear today, that people fear today are the same things that they feared back then. Turn to John 10.10. I'm hitting a bunch of verses today, and that's because I want to show you it's in the Bible. It's not my opinion. It's not because I think so. Even though I do think so, it's not only because I think so. It's because it's what God has said. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life and have it abundantly. Jesus said that. He says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come to give us life and life more abundantly. What, everything that there is to fear in this world can be wrapped up in three words. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. 
in context because we like to read things and I don't like to just pull one verse out. You need to read it what what he's saying as a whole. John was writing the same chapter, verse 7, says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God shows himself here in a way that we can understand, or at least, you know, a way we, we've, we can understand it. He shows himself as a shepherd, someone who takes care of the sheep. If you ever watched a, a flock of sheep, if you ever walk, watch a, a, a sheep, a flock of sheep with, with a shepherd, sheep are kind of dumb. Sheep are kind of dumb. If, you, if you've watched them at all, you know, sheep, uh, a, sh- a good shepherd keeps his sheep moving. Why? Because if you leave them in one place too long, they will eat everything right down to the roots and leave nothing for the future. They will destroy their surroundings. So the shepherd keeps them moving, keeps them, keeps them headed in a direction, and taking them to fresh pastures. A shepherd leads them to water. We're going to read Psalm 23 here in a second. He leads them to water. He leads them to provision. He protects them. And I, my, uh, my suggestion to you this morning is that Psalm 23 hits all three of the things that people fear. Stealing, killing, and destroying. Let's turn there. Psalm 23. Beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read the whole thing, then I'm going to go back and Hit a few points and then we'll be, we'll be done for today. Psalm chapter 23, beginning with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Go back up to verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God provides for you. One One of the things that people fear is that well, how am I going to make today? How am I going to have enough money? How am I going to have enough provision? How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do all this? The answer is, God will lead you where you need to go to find provision. He will lead you every day. He will lead you in your life. He, as a young person, you don't have to fear the future. You don't, I mean, gracious good night. I was just talking with somebody yesterday and we were talking about our kids and we didn't, we didn't have kids for, for quite a while after Deb and I got married for 13 years, right? 
Okay, 12, whatever. <laughs> That's why she's my helpmate. She, she knows stuff. And uh, for, we didn't have kids for 12 years. And one of the things was in my head, I was thinking, man, the world is so messed up. This was the 80s and 90s. The world is so messed up. Do I really want to bring kids into this world? Well, praise God, we decided yes. Praise God, we decided yes, it's worth it. And, and every day for, since, since 1999, until they finally left. I mean, I mean. God has provided every time. We have never gone without. As you can see, I've never gone without. Never missed a meal. Never spent the night outside that I didn't choose to. God has provided. Most of the time it's because I've gone to work. But he provided work. He provided an occupation. He provided a job. He provided, he blessed my employers so that they could bless me. But he led us to provision. You know, now, you know, because you're thinking, how much worse can it possibly get in the 80s and 90s? Well, welcome. <laughs> Here we are. And if you're thinking, my goodness, how could we ever bring children into this world? Do it. God will provide for you. Don't worry about that. I mean it, really. I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm not trying to be facetious. Have children. Yeah, yeah, okay, good. They said yes, just so you know. After 13 years, yeah. <laughs> Grandma says, no, sorry. <laughs> Moving along before I get myself in any more trouble. God provides. He provides. Has he not provided for you? Yes. Yes, he provides. Now, there have been times in my life when I didn't have enough. There have been times in my life where I've lacked. There have been times in my life where I didn't think I was going to make it, Okay. But it wasn't while I was walking with God. It was always when I was separated from Him. It was always. I don't fear where the provision is going to come to, to cover the stuff that we need to have covered. Rent and, not rent, but payments and bills and food and vehicles and whatever. I mean, God provides. I'm telling you, He provides. You can trust Him. There doesn't have to be fear. If you're, if you're experiencing fear because of a lack, your, your perceived lack of, of, of provision, it's because you don't know him well enough yet. And the great part is, is you can know him. It's not like he says, hey, I'm going to hide myself. You can't find me. You know, good luck. No, 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 here, I'm not there anymore. No. God's not messing with you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he's your provider. What's the Hebrew name for provider? Jehovah Jireh. Wasn't in my notes, so I have, hadn't thought about it. It just came out of nowhere. He revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh, which is Hebrew for I am God who provides for you. 
And he also uh, uh, describes himself as El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. He can not only supply what you need, but he can supply liberally and, and, and aggressively over what you could ever hope, think, or ask. That's Old Testament and New Testament working together right there. He is our provider. Even though, next verse, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's that death part. What are, what are, what are things that people are afraid of? One of them is death. You do realize that nobody here gets out alive, right? Not today. I mean, today you do. You get out of here. (laughs) I mean, overall, the big picture. The big picture. You don't get out of this world. We all will face death. But what we don't have to fear, what we don't have to experience, is the second death. That's death. That's death. I mean, when you, when, when, I know a man, I know a man who died and came back to life. The doc, his heart stopped. He was in an operating table. He, he stopped. He said he, afterwards when he came out of the, the you know, when, they, when the surgery was done, everything was, they brought him back. He said, I had the weirdest dream. He said, in this dream, he says, I was walking toward this light over a hill. And he says, as I was walking, somebody tapped me on my shoulder and says, hey, you're not done yet. You need to go back. And he said, he said, while he was walking, he said it was just absolute peace. There was no fear in it. There was nothing to fear. Why? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're afraid of death, if you're afraid of, of not living and what's going to happen next, then you need to know Jesus. Because to know him brings peace. To know him. And if you're, even if you are born again, even if you are saved, and you still fear death, then you need to know him more. Spend more time with him. Get to know him more. Because in him, there is no fear of death. Because you step from this one right into the next one. You step from this life into life. Now, if you're separated from him, if you don't know him, if you're not born again, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know who God is, yeah, I'd be afraid too. But that can change right now, right here, immediately. And how does that happen? By saying exactly what we read back in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4. says, if you confess the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you are in him. You are saved. What does that mean? Jesus, I, I acknowledge that what you did on the cross is for me. I receive that forgiveness. I receive the forgiveness of my sins. I repent of my sin. I don't want to live that way anymore. Come into my life. Live in me. I want to know you. It's that easy. And you don't even have to do it with music playing or hands, you know, eyes bowed and heads raised. Or I don't know, whatever you have to do. You, just, you, you can do that driving down the road going, you know what? I'm in. Jesus, I'm in. I want, I, want what you, I want what you want for me. I, I want you. I receive that free gift of salvation. That's it. You stepped over from death to life. And now that relationship builds from there. All right. I'm going to stop there. Brian's going to come up. Next week we'll continue on this. Week three. Fear not. Two. He always asks me what the name of the title is. There you go. Fear not too. All right, that's a good word.
happy or not. Um, thank you for giving me a few minutes to speak over the offering this morning. Um, I'd like to take my uh, teaching out of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. It's a little lengthy, but I'm kind of building on something for the next few weeks, I hope. But I say, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. So these verses tell us a number of things, but it gives us a glimpse into God's nature. God's nature is to be able to make all grace abound. God is the God of increase. God's gift to us, you know, provides for us, but his greatest gift through his love is Jesus, provides for our salvation, provides for everything that we need. God's purpose is that we may have an abundance for every good deed, right? God is the God of increase. He created everything. He looked upon it. He said, it is good. It is very good when he created us. God's ownership. God is the one who supplies. He is the one who has promised us, and he is responsible to supply. God's people. When believers give, we reflect the characteristics, the family characteristics of God. The mystery then is how do believers receive a blessing or reward for things that God gives to us? This text teaches us that God will give more resources to those who share the resources with him. If we trust him, like Pastor John said, he's going to He's going to increase. If we trust him, the more we give, the more he's going to get back to us. This abundance, however, is not automatic. We can't just sit and wait for it to drop in our lap, right? It must be received like everything else by faith. The grace is there, but we receive it by faith. This abundance is also not just for our personal use, but also for the cause of Christ. That doesn't mean that we're called to live a life of poverty. It means that we recognize where our abundance comes from. We give out of our abundance, and it's multiplied back to us. The truth is the Christian giver becomes a channel of God's provision for the needs of others. Like we said before, we are blessed to be a blessing. You know, there's unlimited resources out there. God created everything that we're ever going to need, that the people after us are ever going to need, our children are going to need. It's all there. So taking the analogy of sowing and reaping from this test, there are at least nine principles that every believer can understand. I'm not going to talk about all nine this morning, so I'm only going to talk about, about three, and I'm going to keep it short. The first one is everything starts as a seed. The agricultural metaphor of sowing is often used in the Bible. It speaks of one seed producing many seeds as a way of referring to abundance. 
The first principle that everything starts with a seed means that our actions are like seeds. In creation, God designed a built-in consequence to the actions of his creatures. If an action lines up with moral law, it protects life and brings order. If an action does not line up with his moral, moral law, it destroys life and brings chaos into society. I think we can all see a lot of that happening in our society right now. Bad seeds being sown produce bad behavior, produce bad results. So when the law of sowing and reaping, everything starts as a seed. <coughs> Excuse me. Nothing happens until the seed is planted. The place where soil is designed to bear fruit, and the place where the seed is designed to bear fruit is soil. The same is true of our lives. In the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God. The sower sows the word, and our hearts are like soils. Mark 4, 1 through 20 talk about this, the different types of soils. However, in this analogy, the seed is our obedience or our actions in giving. Intending to give will not result in a blessing. The actual giving is what's needed to receive a blessing in return. The third principle is whatever I sow is what I reap. If I sow an apple seed, I'm not going to reap a cherry tree. If I sow a cotton seed, I will get a cotton plant. If I sow friendship, I will receive friendship. If I sow time, I will receive time. If I sow money, I will receive money. So reaping is always in kind to what we sow. And you always reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7 tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So I want to thank you for faithfulness and giving throughout this whole time. The offerings have been good. People have been faithful. And you know, praise God, the work has continued. And the best is yet to come, right? So uh, the various ways to give are you can give through the box in the back, the Mark of the Covenant looks like. You can write out, um, there's offering envelopes, pens back there. You can drop off your offering at River Valley Christian Church, 5900 Lake Elmo Avenue North, Lake Elmo. You can mail it in to River Valley Christian Church, 5900 Lake Elmo Avenue North, Lake Elmo, 55042. Or you can give online through rvcc.info slash donate. There's a button on the bottom that uh, donate through PayPal, very easy. You can designate your offerings as well. Uh, there are also opportunities for other ministries that are affiliated with us through that um, website. So Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you are our source, that we do not have to fear where our income will come. We do not have to fear where anything's going to come from because you've promised us that you are our source. You will take care of us. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, we thank you for each giver and each gift, and we ask your blessing on both. In Jesus' name, amen.